Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is April 20th, 2016, and I am your host, William Hill. And, um, and tonight we have the pleasure of sitting down and talking with a man who has written a book on uh, preaching, uh, especially uh, focusing on the idea of practical application, uh, experimental preaching, as some of us refer to it. Um, and so we're going to be talking with Dr. Murray um, Capel in, in just a few seconds about a book that he's written, The Heart is the Target. Um, and we're going to be talking about that book and, and the issues that are related uh, to that. So stay tuned for that in, in just a minute. Uh, let me bring uh, the listeners um, up to date as the things that we're doing here at the podcast. Uh, many of you know I'm, I'm getting very, very close to graduating. And so um, as a result, I have become very, very busy trying to wrap up loose ends and, and get myself in a position to graduate. But that doesn't mean that we're not doing the podcast. We're continuing once a week to bring programs to you. So if you want to know what's coming up on the program, the easiest way to do that is instead of listening to my annoying voice, you can just go to the website, uh, confessingourhope.com, and there you can see what is being uh, what is on tap uh, for the next few weeks. And and um, so avail yourself of the website, confessingourhope.com. There you can uh, av- uh, get all the resources uh, connected to the seminary, connected to the podcast, and um, even listen to past episodes going back four or five years. So it's all there on the website, confessingourhope.com. Additionally, of course, um, this is a podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. The website for uh, the seminary is simply GPTS for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary.edu. And it has been redone uh, somewhat, and so take advantage of that uh, website as well. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Murray uh, Capel. He has written a book, The Heart is the Target. It was uh, put out in... and published by PNR, and I believe it was released in 2014. And again, it's on uh, experimental preaching and application in preaching. Uh, Dr. Capel is uh, has his demon from Westminster Theological Seminary in in California. Pastor churches in New Zealand and Australia, and is principal at the Reformed Theological College in Geelong, Australia. I think I said that right. Where he lectures in preaching and pastoral ministry. So, Dr. Capel, it's great to have you on the program. I know we were scheduled to do this weeks ago, but we finally got it together, and um, I I have to say you're the first guest ever that I've had from Australia. So you have numerous distinctions uh, to to, to attach to this program all by itself, but welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be able to talk with you. There were certainly some challenges getting the time zones sorted out, but it's uh, really lovely to talk now. Yes, absolutely. My my assistant um, uh, Drew he uh, he realized that the first time we try to work it out that it's hard. I, I was mentioning to you off air that I have a daughter living in China and it, 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 she's twelve hours ahead of us. But it's very simple because we just turn the AM into PM or the PM into AM, and we you know we got it. But with your situation, it's just not as mathematically easier with the daylight savings time and everything else. Do you guys have that daylight savings time over there? We do. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, we've just finished our daylight saving uh, about a week or so ago. So oh, that's we're back on to you guys are on winter. You guys are going into your winter season. Yeah, yeah. So here today, it's kind of a, a mild autumn day, um, but it's rapidly cooling down. Yeah, yeah. It was in the 80s here, so, well, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, you guys, uh, I don't know what system you're on, but anyway, okay. So that, that this has nothing to do with the book. Yeah, of see, course. we don't even do Fahrenheit. 
<laughs> oh well, you know, America. I think is the only one left on Fahrenheit. Maybe, maybe. Well, I think I don't know. There's not too many left. Um, but anyway, you wrote this book, "The Heart Is a Target," and of course, the um, the way the cover is laid out, it, it draws out the reality of the heart as the central theme uh, element in preaching and preaching to the heart. But I'm curious, um, how did this book become a book? Well, you know, before you even do that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and then tell us about the book. Let's do it that way. Sure. Well, I, uh, I grew up in New Zealand, a um, little country down under, famous for um, having uh, loads of sheep and mountains and hills and lakes. And so I grew up in a very beautiful area. Uh, and while I was at university, really started to uh, wrestle with a sense of call to ministry um, the Lord at that time increasingly burdened my heart with the state of the church and uh, was growing in keenness uh, on biblical preaching, growing in a love for the church. So during my university years, I um, began to sense a real call to ministry. Came over to Australia for three years where I did my theological study and then went back to New Zealand. And I was involved in pastoral ministry there uh, for 11 years, most of that time in Auckland, uh, which is in the northern part of New Zealand. And after I'd been in um, ministry for about seven years, I just really felt the need to uh, to dig deeper, to keep reading, to stretch myself. And at that time, the, um, the opportunity came up to do the uh, Doctor of Ministry study at Westminster in California. And it just so happens that uh, when I went there and began that study, I had um, Dr. Joey Piper as my lecturer in theology of preaching. And then Never he heard said, of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You should get to know him. He's quite a good guy. <laughs> yeah. He plays golf, I heard, too. <laughs> I don't think he listens to these, so I don't think I have any fear. <laughs> yeah, okay, <I> such... <laughs> Look, that, so, you know, that was really significant for me. I found his theology of preaching lecture, lectures very, very helpful. Um, started to sort of categorize what I've been very convinced of already in terms of experimental preaching. And that led me to uh, undertake my doctoral project at that time on the preaching ministry of Richard Baxter. And I chose yeah. Baxter just as a, as a Puritan example of experimental preaching and I really wanted to explore um, you know what what did that mean for him how did he get inside people how did he preach the gospel to people's hearts uh, that was a really significant project for myself just in terms of growing as a preacher and at that stage I had no plan and or desire to go into a teaching academic ministry myself um, I was really just wanting to be better equipped for the pastoral ministry that I was involved in and I, I have to say, I just really uh, loved being a pastor, loved week-by-week -week preaching, uh, loved mm -hmm. the work of the local church. That, to me, is the most significant and wonderful work to be engaged in. But yep. uh, God then um, led in a different direction, and I was called to come over to Australia to this theological college where I now teach. And initially, I taught part-time here, then full-time, and then uh, was asked, to become the principal here in 2008. So that's kind of been my, my journey. Uh, um, but 
uh, preaching and the local church and pastoral ministry is the heart of what I'm passionate about. I love the way the Lord's blessed me uh, with a lovely wife, Wendy, and we have five kids. Three children are married in their 20s, uh, became a grandfather last year, which is fun. Yeah. And we've got two kids uh, still living up. That's great. That's great. You know, as you were talking, I realized something. You made a comment, um, Baxter, Richard Baxter. And I yes. said, you know, why does that ring a bell? And so I quickly Googled. Um, I knew the title of the book, so I quickly Googled it to see, is, is this the same guy? I read that book, uh, Preaching with Sp Spiritual Vigor is the, is the book I'm referring to. Yeah. I read that um, three, four years ago. Uh something like that. I think it was came out in 2003. Um, but I read that, and so it's, this is really an honor because I, I read that book as well, and so I thought, you know, it's just, just because you said Richard Baxter, I'm like, no, wait a minute. How many people do, have I read that have actually used Richard Baxter as as a, a paradigm a launching point in, preaching, in books on preaching? And I can only think of one. I'm sure that there may be, there's others, but I can only think of one. And sure enough, it's the same. It's the same guy. So I was like, well, imagine that. Oh. Well, anyway, so so this book um, is about ten years beyond the one that you wrote on Baxter. And um, mm -hmm. how do they? How do they, How does the preaching with spiritual vigor? Does that? Is it? Does it? like drive into the, the book you just did on um, the heart is the target? I mean, are they compendiums or are they um, really separate entities other than the fact that they're about preaching? Yeah, look, that, that's a good question. In in the first book, in Preaching with Spiritual Vigor, it's really a, largely an historical study of the mm -hmm. preaching approach of Richard Baxter. And, of course, the interesting thing there, I think, is that Baxter's so famous for his pastoral ministry and most of the writing um, on Baxter, most of the studies and books focus on his, you know, rigorous catechizing and Kidderminster, his, his vigorous pastoral visitation program. He's famous as a wonderful pastor. But I wanted to come in from a different angle and, you know, see what was he doing in the pulpit? What was his preaching ministry? So that book opens up uh, Baxter's ministry and particularly his approach to preaching. But it uh, therefore lays a foundation for understanding mm. uh, expository and experimental preaching and understanding what it means to uh, target the heart. And so what I've done in the second book is kind of leave the historical details behind and take the principles that I learned from Baxter and say, what does this look like today? Um, if, if we apply those kind of Puritan principles, but we do them in a very 21st century way, uh, what does it look like, and how do we go about preaching like that in our culture? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. what the heart of the target uh, tries to do. And it, so, how did the 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 book we're talking about this evening? How did that actually? Um, what prompted you to say, okay, you know what? I, I've written one book, and and now I'm going to write another one, which is I would say it's bigger than the first one. Um, in fact, I think it is absolutely bigger. Um, why this book now and um, you know what was the genesis behind it other than, other than the fact that you've already said how much you love preaching and reform preaching and the Puritans and all those good reasons mm. well uh, one of the things that happened is because of the book on Baxter and because of my teaching ministry 
ministry here, I was increasingly having opportunities to train preachers and take seminars and conferences. And it was really clear from that that preachers were just eating up hell on application and preaching. Um, and it seems to me that over the last 10, 20, 30 years, there's been a wonderful growth in expository preaching ministries. Um, many more preachers are committed to preaching the biblical text. There's kind of been a revival of expository preaching. But yep. in that revival of expository preaching, lots of preachers uh, self-confessedly say application is their weak link. Application is the thing they, they struggle with. And that became clear from the seminars I was taking, uh, from the preachers I was working with. Uh, we, we give preachers a lot of tools at seminary and another uh, context, a lot of tools for examining the biblical text. We, we teach them whole languages <laughs> to, um, to dig yep. deeply into the Bible. Uh, we have wonderful exegetical tools and commentaries and lexicons and you know Bible software. So preachers are well-resourced when it comes to um, careful, redemptive historical, um, grammatico-historical exegesis. But the danger with that is if they're, if they're massively resourced to study the biblical text and, and they're at a place where they love the Bible, they love truth, they love theology, they love doctrine, the, the danger is that then their sermon becomes a lecture. Mm -hmm. sermon becomes mm -hmm. this... Um, verbalized commentary uh, on the text or it becomes a discourse uh, yep. about you know the, the content of the text but it's not really a sermon because it doesn't preach the word today it doesn't apply the text yeah that's one of those subjects that I think um, guys around seminary you know when we're when we have a free second to breathe um, this is one of those conversations <laughs> you tend to hear um, from time to time is you know, what's the difference between a sermon and a lecture? You know, I, I think we can, when we're sitting in a lecture, we can say, that's a lecture. And when we're sitting in a sermon, that's a sermon. I, I think mm. we can see it and identify it when it's happening. But then to break it out into its individual components, what's the, def in, your, in your opinion anyway, w w what is the defining element that says that's a lecture as opposed to that's a sermon? Yeah, I think uh, the... The, def the main characteristic of a lecture is that it's oriented toward information. Mm -hmm. And the main characteristic of a sermon is it's oriented toward transformation. Now, that's not watertight. You know, a great lecture can actually be quite transformative. And a great sermon is going to be highly informative. But it's where the weight, where the accent really falls. And... In preaching, you're not simply aiming to convey interesting or accurate information. The uh, the information is, if you like, simply a means to an end, and that is that people are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God is pressed on their hearts. And so in preaching, there has to be a whole lot more than information. There's, there's certainly not less than information. There's going to be great content, but there's got to be more than great content. There's got to be that yep. content worked into people's lives. There needs to be... Uh, the passion and the vigor of the preacher, and obviously, most importantly, there needs to be the uh, powerful work and operation of the Holy Spirit. Yep. In, in your yep. university lecture, uh, lecture, you're not looking for that kind of stuff. Um, you're really looking for the transfer of 
of good information. So that's yep. the purpose. Yeah, giving data to the, the to the student or the listener and um, information. I think that you know, that's well said. It, it, interesting comment you made um, a few minutes ago that uh, as you've been doing conferences and in lectures uh, on this subject, uh, you've heard ministers make the comment that application is the weak link in their sermons. Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, obviously, you, you you've hit on the the idea that we could dig into the text. We have you know, Bible works, Logos, we have all these software tools and books galore all over the place on how to un- understand the text. So why is application for, mo- for most men in your experience in talking with them so difficult to get out of the text and, and actually uh, I- incorporate into the sermon? Yeah, I think there are, there are a range of reasons, and maybe, you know, for different preachers, there are different reasons that stand out. I think the most serious and the most the fundamental reason that uh, many preachers are weak on application is they have an inv- inadequate view of what application actually is. Too easily we see application as the bit that we add at the end of the message. <laughs> so the, the, the real message is explaining the biblical text and then application are the few practical ideas that we put on at the end. And that view of application is always going to be weak because it's really just um, an addendum. It's it's a bolt-on at the end uh, rather than understanding that the whole message is to be applicatory, that the entire message is to be God speaking to people today. So I think that's the most fundamental reason that application is weak. Uh, a lot of preachers don't get what's really meant to be happening. Then you add to that some other um, some other issues. Uh, one is the, the one I've mentioned already. There aren't that many helps for preachers when it comes to this. There just aren't many books uh, or resources or tools or, or methodologies for developing robust expository application. Uh, that means that preachers are kind of left to wing it. Um, if a good application comes to mind, great. Um, if if they're, you know, really gifted, intuition will lead them to all sorts of wonderful stuff. But there's no sort of systematic, careful, considered way to develop application as there is for exegesis. So that makes it hard work for preachers. They, they don't really know how to go about the task. And then another factor, I think, is that developing good application takes a lot of time uh, when we're serious about biblical text, the temptation is going to be that, you know, 90% of our sermon time is spent on the text, and then there's a quick bit of thought about how does this apply to people today. But if we're going to do good application, we really have to change those proportions and think more in terms of 50% on the text and 50% on the hearers. Right. Uh, so that, you know, if... If a preacher's not doing that, if they're not giving it time, they haven't got a method, and they don't really have an adequate view of what application actually is, then it's almost inevitable that it's going to be the weak part of the sermon. I was going to ask you, on this same thought of of application in the sermon, um, as, as you were talking about thinking, and as you were talking, I was also looking for your other book, because I think you mentioned something in there germane to this, but I can't put my hands on it, so don't shoot me. I just can't put my hands on it. It could be my other office. Who <laughs> knows? Um, it's one of those good problems. I have 
quite a few books, and I can't always put my fingers on them when I'm at home. So it could be in this big pile I have sitting here. But, but I, I was I'm wondering if application also for some ministers, and and I'm and I realize I may be moving into some danger. To, Maybe dangerous. It's, that's too strong a word, but I'm overgeneralizing just to try to drive home a point that um, <clears throat> there's something almost uh, almost innocuous or maybe sterile, as it were, when we're just exegeting the text and we're understanding what the what the scriptures are teaching as far as their fundamental truths. But when it comes to application, it becomes a little bit more personal, dicey. Um, and the reality is, if we're not, if our if our hearts aren't engaged in the reality of what this scripture is teaching me before I ever stand in the pulpit, um, it, it makes it that much even harder, I think, maybe, to get it out in preaching. And so you, they te- it, it just becomes more of a barrier. The reality is, um, well, I can tell you what this text says, but I may not tell you what it says for you where you're living, because I don't know if I want to hear the things that I need to change, adjust in my own life. And so... Uh, it probably dovetails a little bit about what you, as to what you were saying about <clears throat> the reality that it is, um, it is very difficult. Um, takes a lot more thought because it's it's far more painful just for the preacher to do it as well as doing it in the pulpit to other people. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I guess I'm getting at the idea that if it's not in you, uh, it's not going to come out of you. And yeah. um, look, I, I think that's a superb comment. Um, one of the dangers of Reformed faith is that we uh, overly intellectualize the faith and it becomes something we love with our heads. We, we love the logic, we love the clarity of uh, Reformed theology and biblical truth, but it's, it's very possible for it to stay in our heads. And that's kind of safe and we can argue it and debate it and love it and hone it and sharpen it uh, without living it. And you're, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the hard thing about working with the Bible is it works us over, works over our heart. If we're going to preach experimentally, um, the first person we preach to is ourselves. And that kind of hurts. And it's kind of painful, as well as sometimes just wonderfully uplifting and encouraging. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's easier to preach in a detached intellectual academic way than it is to preach in a really personal um heart-oriented way yeah i i <clears throat> we had a seminary professor that would say that all the time you know if it's not in you you can't get you're not going to get it out of you um it's mm. you know it's it and it's it's got to be there but i i mean i really appreciate the the emphasis that this book is trying to uh it, it's not taking away from the importance of sound biblical exegesis, um, utilizing the all the resources available to get to the heart of the text, its logical center, all that stuff. And by no means does the book do that at all, but it it, it takes it and, and tries to bring the balance back to the equation that says, okay, that's all fine and good, and you can't get here without this, but you've got to be sure to go here. You can't stop and truncate it, otherwise it's, a, it's an aborted sermon in some sense. And, yeah. and so I... That's what I appreciate about the book. It doesn't take away from the from the reality of the um, of the exegesis, but it says we but we must press further, otherwise we're just giving information. And 
and and I love the examples that you actually used in the beginning of the book um, talking. It's really the beginner's guide to application, and where you actually drew out a number of texts, uh, another a number of passages to highlight the 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 importance of of understanding with the goal of application. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the just right in the beginning of the book, and so they go together. And I don't want anybody here that's listening to this thinking, "Well, we're you know we're forsaking one for the other." I don't think that's the message at all. It's it's exactly. that they they are are inseparably connected elements. And in that regard, I I like the phrase "applicatory exegesis." <laughs> yes, that's good. <laughs> and I I use that phrase late in the book. Yeah, uh, I yep. think it's a really important concept that this is not about application as opposed to exegesis it's not about saying do application instead of exegesis it's saying our our exegesis must always drive an application because that's the intent of god's word The, the whole purpose of god's word is that when god speaks we're changed we're transformed we're humbled and convicted and thrilled and and transformed by his word so so when we do our exegesis, the real question isn't simply what did it mean back then? Yeah. The real question is what is God saying to us today through this ancient text? We don't understand the text until we understand what it's saying to us today. So our, our exegetical process um, never finishes in the, in the past, in, in the there and then message to the original recipients our exegesis isn't done until we understand what god is now saying through that text to us today so that's why i've rooted the model in exegesis it's grounded in what god's word is doing there and then and here and now and we've got to make that transition absolutely i i um just want to clarify for the listeners sake uh, most people that listen to this podcast are very very aware of these terms that we've kind of thrown in and out and interchanged at, at times. So, you know, application or experimental preaching, those are... But why don't, uh, Dr. Capel, why don't you just, for the listener's sake, you know, define... When you say expository preaching, what do you mean? And then when you say experimental preaching, what are you talking about? You know, just in a nutshell. And most people, they know, they're probably thinking, what a silly question. Everybody knows that. But you never, you never know who might be listening. They might not know that. So always well, a good idea. All us teachers say there's no such thing as a silly question. Right. Um, Some of those basic questions are really good. So expository preaching is preaching that exposes the intended meaning of the text. It opens up the text in its context, understanding what God intended to say to the people there and then. And uh, my understanding of that then is that that text still speaks today. And so expository preaching exposes then the intended meaning of that text for today. Experimental preaching is taking the truth of Scripture, the truth of the text, and pressing it against life. It's, it's looking at what does that look like in practice? How does this play out in real life? It tests it, uh, takes the experiment uh, into actual life uh, as it is today. And so truth is not left um, as something theoretical and abstract and historical. It's truth uh, as we experience it in life, how we should experience it 
why we don't experience it like that, uh, what needs to happen for us to experience it as we should do. It's taking truth and applying it into real life experience. Yep, well said. Is there such a thing <clears throat> as inappropriate application? Now, I mean, I, I know that's a very open-ended question, but I mean, I already know the answer, but um, <laughs> I'm interested in your thoughts because for someone who, you know, is a, obviously um, has written a whole book on the subject of, of experimental preaching or application in, in, in preaching, um, I, I grew up in a world that um, the, the emphasis was, you know, um, was heavily on this application side, but not necessarily in an appropriate way, mm-hmm. um, it, almost moralistically. Yeah. Is there such thing as bad application, and how does that happen? I mean, how does a person who has all the right intentions ends up in uh, inappropriate applications in preaching? Mm. Yeah, look, uh, unfortunately, I think there are lots of ways of doing bad application. <laughs> it's um, it's yeah. very easy to do bad application. And, and moralism uh, is obviously one of those ways. Uh, I, I tend to think of uh, one of the, the weaknesses and the failings of the poor application is to go for uh, what I call the more applications. Um, love more, pray more, give more, <laughs> go to church, right. read your Bible more, witness more. Um, so, you know. It doesn't really matter what the text is. You can probably always tack on at the end an exhortation to pray more, love God more, and serve more. Um, and it depends on your church circle as to what the three more applications are going to be. <laughs> there, we have our pet favorites. Yeah, yeah. If that's, if that's where every sermon lands, it's very predictable and it's also very unhelpful. The gospel isn't fundamentally about telling us to do more. Um, the gospel is fundamentally about what God has done, uh, it, it begins with the uh, the great redemptive saving works of Jesus Christ, and you know the the thing we we really need more of is more heart, heart understanding of the all sufficient, beautiful, wonderful work of our Savior, and so all application has to be, I believe, completely rooted in the gospel, and the gospel then gives us motivations and incentives uh, to change and to grow. And the, the gospel takes root in our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. Sanctification isn't just um, coming to people with commands to do more of this or that. It's ultimately about a heart that comes to increasingly love Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and experience communion with him and as he lives in us. He will transform us. He will change us, and sin starts to become more odious to us, and holiness starts to become more attractive. So, you know, one of the worst things we can do with application is just slap on a whole lot of exhortations to do more of this or that and really short-circuit the gospel itself. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that, that, yeah, like I said, I uh, that that's the kind of preaching I grew up in. In fact, it was so ingrained, I think, in me when I first number of years ago when I was just teaching a prayer meeting. <laughs> I wasn't even preaching; I was just teaching. And um, the pastor, you know, kind of cautioned me. He says, "You know, you're 
perilously close. I think he was being kind. I probably was already there, you know, completely there, but he was just being nice. And, um, you know, you're almost moralistic in your approach. And I'm like, well, what's that mean? You know, I didn't even know the difference. I, I couldn't, you know, it, it just... It, it, it just it made no sense to me whatsoever until I started thinking about it and realizing that this had been ingrained in my in my in my mind for so many years that it that I was just doing what I what I've seen done for so many mm-hmm. years that how was you know how was this wrong <laughs> and, and and to find out you know what you just said you know the idea of the gospel and Christ being rooted and centered in in every aspect of it including the application and and mm-hmm. and, and and one of the things that that I find um, attractive in preaching is that when when I'm driven in a direction in a sermon and and I see my sin and I recognize things I got to deal with and confess and 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 and, and as it were uh, when when the pastor or the minister says, "Look, you know, here's the here's the thing. Um, you're not going to do any of these things perfectly. That's why there's a savior. Um, yeah. Every, every time you fall on your face and you're gonna you're probably going to do it in the next ten minutes." <laughs> You look to the cross, and you know that—that's why you have a savior. I mean, if you were able to do all these things that we're talking about in this sermon, you wouldn't need Jesus. <laughs> so, that's exactly right. So, I, in the short time we have left, I just want to quickly, um, because of a book of this length, obviously we can't do it complete justice, and and that's not really my goal anyway. Um, to try to cover the whole book because I want people to buy the book. Um, it's it's really well written and um, it's well organized. The, the book is is split into two sections. In in the first half is basically the process itself. Um, as and gets into more deep and more depth, some of the things we've already talked about, but but it gets into things like the living word, the life of the preacher. We've already talked about that. The the lies of our hearers, the lies of um, uh, how did I read that? The lies of our hearers, the heart is the target. The lies of our hearers, one size doesn't fit all. And my wife always makes comments about my preaching on this. You know, you, your applications always seem to talk about men. Um, <laughs> forget that <laughs> women sitting out there. Um, anyway, um, and then. And then the second half kind of puts into practice in, in some real clear ways some of these things that you lay out in the first half. But I think what's the most one of the most helpful sections in the book um, comes on, let me make sure I have my page right, um, is, hold on a second, it's in the beginning, it's on page 45. Um, it, it's really a summary of what I think is the foundational chapter in the entire book, and that is the beginner's guide to application. Because <laughs> you really start, you, you you lay that groundwork, you lay that foundation early, and you have these summary statements that really speak to everything you're going to un- unwind, as I understood it anyway, mm-hmm. uh, through the rest of the book. And um, so I think that might be helpful to the listeners, maybe just to kind of run through this, this brief list and, and maybe talk in and around those subjects, because I think they're very very powerful. Um, for instance, the first one you have here on page 45 of the book is, in expository preaching, the message of the Bible, the biblical text, is spoken afresh to God's people today by the preacher in such a way, underscore, that those who hear the message sense that God himself is speaking to them and is dealing with their lives. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Because I, I know we've talked in and around that already, but I think we forget that even as listeners, that we're, we're not listening to a man as it were. We are, but we're not. We're listening to the, vo- the, the living word speaking, the, the, the preaching is the voice of Christ speaking to his people. And um, I think we forget that. Uh, I, I know I do. Yes, it's, it's right at the heart of a theology of preaching, isn't it? That It is. You know, when someone stands up to preach, they're not sharing some ideas or giving you some tips or 
like I say, giving a, a commentary on the biblical text, they stand up as a herald. Uh, that is a, a spokesman for God. And they're speaking on God's behalf. And they're, they're speaking God's message today. So there's an authority in that. And that doesn't mean that they're, you know, highly, um, you know, something the pulpit and dramatic and, and manipulative or domineering. But it means that there's this strong conviction that this isn't just me saying it. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of God. And the most, I think the most sublime moments are in preaching are when you kind of forget the preacher altogether. He, he kind of disappears in the equation because you are so, so caught up in a sense of God himself. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and often people come away from, from great sermons, don't they, saying, that was, that was just for me. Uh, they they <laughs> sense that God was speaking straight into their heart. Um, I I much prefer to hear that after a sermon than someone who comes up and says, you know, that was a really good sermon, whatever that means. Um, I don't want to. Right. Hear, I preached a good sermon. I love to hear that someone sensed that God was dealing with them, and that's really what what preaching is always aiming at doing. Yeah, and it's interesting too. At the same time, even as listening to a sermon, when you recognize uh, those elements that you just talked about, as as one who has preached, obviously you've preached many times. Um, certainly, you've had moments in the pulpit where you're like, "Where did that come from? Why did I say that?" And 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 there were, and it's like not necessarily prepared, but it was just yeah. all of a sudden it was as though God Himself just said, "All right, I've got this." I mean, I know it sounds almost hocus pocus i don't mean it to sound that way but it's just i told my wife that i said i can't explain it with words there are no words for me to properly explain this but it's almost as though something happens that compels me to go down a, through a door down a road that i didn't intend to go down um and i have no idea why but the spirit does and um it's almost like you get outside yourself for a minute you're kind of watching it happen not that i'm advocating out of body experiences in the pulpit but <laughs> Those are thrilling moments, aren't they? Because they're they are, yeah. Quite, I guess the word I'm looking for is freedom. Uh, you know, just complete freedom uh, to speak, and um, yeah. that can only come from the spirit's unction. But closely tied to that is the second summary statement, where you, uh, you say biblical preaching is therefore directly addressed to the hearers today. Again, that should be underscored. I mean, uh, you know, we're not talking to uh, first-century Christians. Mm-hmm. We're talking to people living in the pews in the 21st century. It is not a lecture or verbalized commentary on the text, but a proclamation of the truth of the text applied holistically to the lives of those who hear it. Now, you've already commented on that. I mean, too many of us have been subjected. I'm sure you have been to a running commentary of the text. And it's like, I'm not sure that was a sermon. I don't know what that was, but uh, I could have read that in Hendrickson or I could have read that in Calvin. Um, And and, and so without that element, um, do you think you can really get to it? proper biblical application if it becomes just a running commentary? Well, I, th- I think it's always going to fall short if it's just a running commentary. Um, like like I say, the, the point of the commentary on the text, the point of understanding what the text means is to understand what God is saying today as well as what God said then. And there's a consistency between the two. I mean, the message doesn't change, but the target audience changes. And so we need to take that aim message and expose how that impacts us today in our culture and with our sins and with our opportunities in this church 
And maybe I can just make a little segue here um, and sure. touch on something which, which is a very contemporary issue, and that is we, we have access to wonderful internet preaching. You know, we can hear the best of the best at the click of a button. Um, but even that has an element of deficiency in it because mm-hmm. the best preaching is from the pastor in your church who knows you, loves you, and prays for you and is bringing applications that uh, bear on your life as it actually is. Well, you are you are you are preaching to the choir on that subject. I have been uh, because of social media and our ability to spout off our thoughts at any moment of the day or night, like people care mm. that much about everything we're thinking. Um, because of Facebook and Twitter, I, I've often been grieved um, to see people make comments like, "My favorite preacher is uh, some superstar guy um, that they've never." ever had as their pastor and it's not the person that god gave them as their pastor and and i think what you just said is very very powerful because one of the dangers of seminary life is that is that in within the great privilege of being able to fill pulpits in different churches from time to time the deficiency is that i have absolutely no idea where these people are so my applications and my sermons become very generalized yeah and and I, I noticed that early on. Now that I'm, I'm stated supply to church that it's called me um, to pastor them. I've been there for almost a year as a supply, but now I know their lives. I know what they wrestle with. I know what their struggles are. I know what what, what thrills them. I and I know them, mm-hmm. and so my applications now have become far more specific to them. That that if I were to preach that same sermon the exact same way in another church down the street, it may not have the same reaction or the same impact even. Uh, because the application is geared just for that congregation in front of me. And so I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I agree very much when I hear people make comments like that because in God's providence, that's not the man they gave those people. And um, I appreciate the fact that they, they're, they're blessed, they're edified uh, when they hear some hmm. guy preach. And, and I'm thankful for the mediums that are, that are for these tools and these things that are out there. But at the end of the day, uh, the man who prays for you every week in his study and is yep. praying for you about this sermon and who visits you in the hospital and visits you in the home and loves you uh, is preaching uh, to you. Uh, and, um, well, if I could use yeah. a, a food analogy, um, you know, last night I went out with some friends to a restaurant and we had a really nice meal. Uh, mm. um, it, was, it was quite stylish. And when I listened to a, a world famous, internet preacher it's like going out to a restaurant and you you get some very nice fare but i do not spend most of my life in a restaurant most of my um life is spent at home with my wife's cooking and it's it's more plain but it's nutritious and it's healthy and it's three times a day and that's that's the diet i need to stay healthy and then i can go out to a restaurant now and then yep that's a great Uh, great illustration yeah, well, you you definitely hit a nerve with me on that one, and I I think that's the danger of the internet world we live in. We just have to be. It's not that there are any of those things are wrong. We just I think we just need to be very careful, and 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 I think as pastors, be aware of the fact that that's going on. And um, anyway, with that, we could do a whole other program just on that subject. The, the fourth thing you have in here, and and I and I do want you to tell me what you mean by when you say. 
you write you write that holistic application is concerned with bringing the message as a whole to the person as a whole for life as a whole. Now, obviously, you repeat the word whole three times because you're obviously trying to make a point. But what I'm really interested in is what you mean by holistic application. Yeah, well, the, the, the repetition of the word whole and those little phrases is my unpacking of holistic application. So, right. so holistic uh, in the sense that the entire message from beginning to end is applicatory. Application is not the, the, the two practical minutes at the end. The entire message is uh, God speaking into our hearts today. And uh, it's to the person as a whole. That is... Uh, not just to them, their intellect, but to their passions, their affections, their will, their conscience. And it's for life as a whole, which is not just life in church, but it's life at home and life in the workplace, uh, their leisure activities, their mm-hmm. pastimes. And if, if a sermon brings uh, a message where the entire message is constantly interacting with the entirety of your being mind conscience will and passions and it has a bearing on the entirety of your life um not just your spiritual life but every facet of your life then you've got what i call holistic application it's not compartmentalized it's not the few little practical tips at the end this is god speaking into your life in a holistic way yep yeah well said um I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I want to ask you a, like a methodological question about application because um, I know different – well, I'll just do it now. Um, I know different different methodologies you know, advocate different ways of applying um, throughout the sermon. Now, my, my preferred method and the one I've been taught to do um, – but it's more natural for me and my speaking, my speech patterns is to apply as I go and not, and not necessarily. So, okay, now we're going to apply that. Okay. Now we're going to, now we're going to interpret that. Oh, now we're going to apply that. No, it just kind of comes out in the, in the exposition. It just sort of works. It's, it's, it's sort of naturally comes out and flows and, and you know, when I'm applying it, because I'll ask in, in inspective or in, 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 um, in uh, particular questions, pointed questions, those kinds of things. But, yeah. um, do you prefer that uh, as, just as a listener or as one who uh, thinks about preaching a lot? Or do you think it's better to tick, stick it on the end or does it really matter as long as it's done? Look, I, I'm passionately in favor of what you've just spoken of. I think the every sermon ideally begins uh, with people's lives. And then yep. all the way through, it connects to people's lives. And at the end, it lands strongly in people's lives. And there's never a point where you flick to application. The whole thing is applicatory. Uh, And you're going back to the text to hear what what God is saying to us here and now. Um, I think that's the most compelling and satisfying kind of preaching to hear. Yeah, Dr. Piper really emphasizes that and then really drop, you know, in your conclusion, really um, bring it all home, wrap things up, tighten it up, night little package, and then sort of, drop your goal, the goal you had of the sermon right there and then. And um, I appreciate that kind of sermon too. And the other thing you said that, that he often has said, so I can tell you guys have talked at least somehow, uh, some way (laughs) and at some level um, is that he he has often encouraged the students. And as he goes, I want you guys thinking about preaching 24 hours a day. 
In other mm-hmm. words, and he doesn't mean every second, but he means that when you're driving down the road, you're thinking about your sermon, you, you're, you're watching mm-hmm. for an illustration that may show up, you're, you're thinking about how this is supposed to be, how, how this applies to your own life, and how does it apply to the people that God gave you, and you're always thinking, you're always thinking, you're always thinking about it. Yeah. Because sermon preparation, as I've told some of the younger students, is it's not always pen and paper, pen in hand, paper in front of you. Sometimes it's just sitting there thinking. And um, um, some of my best sermon preparation has been in my car, (laughs) driving back and forth from one point to another, just thinking about the text I'm going to preach and the people I'm going to be standing in front of and um, how it all works together. And, yeah, of course I'm going to have to write something down eventually, but it always starts, I think, just with thought. But anyway, well, pressing on quickly. um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. In the the book, I um, I, I say that I'm a passionate advocate of uh, what I call peripatetic homiletics. <laughs> that is you know, doing, going for a long walk. So I tend to yeah. do my exegesis um, for a few hours in, in the morning, and then I take a long walk. And it's while I'm walking, I'm turning it over my head, and I'm asking myself questions, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about people. And that's when the message comes together. Um, and then you live with it over the course of the week. Uh, at a very practical level. That's why, you know, young men ought not to be writing sermons on Saturday night. <laughs> you've, you've got to write it earlier and live with it and process it uh, if you're going to develop really good application. Yeah, there's a there's a friend of mine who um, is two years in the seminary and very, um, you know, has a great zeal and wants to preach well and do all these things. And, you know, I was talking to him recently and... Um, you know, he's constantly staring at his outline, constantly tweaking, you know, picking at the outline, picking at the outline. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. And um, But I finally I just told him, I said, you know, brother, at some point you're going to have to put that outline away and just go think about it. Mm. I said, let me tell you something. It, there's something about getting away from the actual words that you wrote down on the paper and just thinking about the whole the whole sermon from beginning to end and, and not get lost in the forest for the trees. I mean, just... Try to get above all that and think about it in, at, at that level instead of, you know, worrying about that's the right, exactly the right word on point one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. sure, you want to do that, but, you know, don't get so hung up on the details that you miss the, the overarching driving thing that you're trying to accomplish here. And. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you, you press on. You, you say gospel truth that is applied in this way must be preached in grace-filled, heart-oriented way. And, 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 I, and I think that, if I understood you correctly, it, that really is that you know the man who's preaching it feels it in his heart as well. I mean, it's so it, it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about mm-hmm. you know, if it's in you, it'll come out of you mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And, um, and then uh, kind of getting to the end of this summary that really frames the whole book itself such holistic applicatory preaching never stands alone but is dependent and this is what i love i love this because it's so liberating (laughs) (laughs) applicatory preaching never stands alone but is dependent on the presence and power of the holy spirit the fervent prayers of god's people and the support and reinforcement of a spiritually dynamic church community and and i think in a nutshell when i read that i think yeah and it doesn't depend on me (laughs) and it's a good thing (laughs) It, that it, it is liberating. It's really liberating. And I think there's a danger, again, with this revival of Reformed expository preaching. There's a danger that we create uh, what I call you know, pulpit-focused, pulpit-centered churches uh, where everything is 
is about the minister and the sermon. And if, if everything is about the minister and the sermon, you, you're inevitably going to end up with a very unhealthy church, no matter how good his preaching is. Uh, the, the church has to be about more than the minister and the, and the preaching. The preaching is fueling the life of the church, and the life of the church is really fellowship with the triune God, uh, loving God and serving God. Um, every member of the church, active in prayer and active in using their gifts, and the Holy Spirit is using the preaching ministry to build and strengthen and transform and save people. But it's it's not about the preaching ministry. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Yep. So we've got yeah, we've got to be very big on the uh, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and therefore big on prayer and on submission to God. Yeah, page 85 of the book, you, you talk about the point of stressing Bible reading and prayer is not to enforce evangelical duty for the sake of it, but to promote intimate dealings with God. And and I, and I think that's <laughs> this whole idea of the pastor in, the, in praying. Um, again, it's so easy. Uh, you want to preach this perfect sermon. You want to have the perfect outline. You want to have the perfect illustrations. You want to have the best applications. You want to have all this stuff uh, nicely wrapped up, but then... You, know, you get to get to the end of the week, you're like, wow, I've spent 30 minutes, 30 hours on this sermon, and I've spent 30 seconds praying about it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty convicting, isn't it? <laughs> it, well, it is, and, and that's the other part of, you know, sometimes just toss the outline on the desk and go for a walk and, and, and pray about the sermon yeah. and pray through the sermon instead of worrying about every pedantic detail. Not to say that those aren't important things. It's just, you know, the, at the end of the day, if what you say here about the holy spirit if if he doesn't in, if he doesn't work through the preached word if he doesn't take what i say or you say or anybody whoever's preaching whatever they say um and apply it to their hearts i can scream at the top of my lungs nothing's going to happen mm, that's so, exactly it. and one of my most common uh, prayers and experiences just before i preach is to uh you know to, to take my sermon that i've prepared take it before god and basically acknowledge that this is just a, a handful of dust. Um, there's, yep. there's nothing inherently powerful or clever or brilliant here. It's it's my best, but it's just dust. But God, you have breathed life into dust before, and I pray that you'll do it again now. And, yep, and that's really your last summary statement in the in the in the opening par chapter. The Spirit's power in the church and in preaching is not to be assumed, but it is to be earnestly sought and expected because the Spirit has been given to the church by the ascended Christ to empower gospel witness. So, I mean, I, th I think these summary statements are really great. I mean, they're appetizers, as it were, because they help set up a lot of what you deal with in, mu in much further detail in the book. And as I said, we there's no possible way to deal with every nuance of a book of this magnitude um, <clears throat> in an hour. Um, uh, but with that said, I'm curious, what kind of re response have you received from the book in general, from those who have read it? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't write a book on preaching to be a bestseller, I don't think, especially if you're an unknown author from down under. Um, so I'm not aware of it has sort of hidden the top of the charts. But what I've been so encouraged by is receiving feedback from from pastors here, there, scattered around the world just saying that this book has really helped them and it's helped them in their next sermon um and and i love that you know they, they feel like yeah it's given me some tools i can do some of this stuff i can immediately implement this and it's made a difference and so that's been very very encouraging to hear that god and his grace is um is, is using this book i think to help 
help preachers be more intentional, more focused, more effective in applying the word. Yep. Well, I appreciate the book and I appreciate the emphasis on application. I've been one that have said, you know, that very same thing that, <clears throat> you know, we, we need more experimental quality in our preaching. And, um, I know at Greenville Seminary, that's a big focus and emphasis. You're probably very much aware of that, yeah. um, knowing Dr. Yeah, Piper and, and, um, and I remember going through homiletics with him, and he said, you know, I, you guys can get up and be theologically sound and not preach a sermon. You know, the, the fact is, is that we need to apply this to the lives of the people that hear us, uh, hear us, yeah. and we need to do it in an appropriate way uh, with hearts full of love for them and all those right motives and things all there. But at the end of the day, if you don't do that, then you haven't really preached a sermon. So, um, and, and so that just sort of kind of just stuck in my head and, and constantly trying to work on it. I'm so far from where I should be on that issue but um but it's harder I, I mean i think you're right i just think it's just harder and um mm. because it has to be so intentional and um you know we we pick up a text of scripture and we read you know, like the sermon on the mount you know matthew the beatitudes and we're like i know what that says mm. <laughs> you know i i've heard sermons on this a hundred times i've read commentaries on it i've read books on this subject i've read articles on this subject i know what it says and but Okay, so how am I going to, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell everybody in the congregation what it says, but okay, so what are they going to do with it on Monday? Mm. And, and, and now I'm always thinking about, okay, Monday's coming. Uh, exactly. It's great. It's easy in the pew <laughs> yeah. on Sunday, but what are they going to do with it in the factory or the restaurant or in the home on Monday? And that's the, that's, you know, that's holistic preaching. It's, it speaks to the whole life. And, um, Obviously, you can get the book from PNR, but um, I think you can get it probably anywhere. Amazon, um, Greenville Seminary's bookstore. Um, <laughs> um, a little plug. Um, prob probably just about anywhere you can find you know, the, the obvious places. Um, I think Westminster Bookstore probably carries it since it's a PNR book. Um, and, but, I, I mean, if I'm leaving something up, I feel free to add it. But um, I think those are the at least the main uh, main places to get it. Um, and so I would encourage uh, listeners, especially guys that are either thinking about seminary or in seminary, but um, current pastors who are um, laboring and maybe struggle with some of the things that we talked about early in the discussion about, uh, you know, application is always the most difficult thing. Well, I would encourage you to read this book. I mean, it'll at least challenge you in a lot of different ways and, and maybe in encourage you to start thinking more consciously about this this element of your preaching and um so it's you know it's not overly expensive and it's worth the read it's soft cover put out by pnr as i've mentioned murray uh, capel is the author and he was our guest uh, this uh, this evening my first uh, my first guest in australia and um i think i know somebody who lives in your neck of the woods that listens to the podcast um frequently but uh, i don't remember his name off the top of my head um but be that as it may, um, I was. It was a pleasure to speak with you on this subject. Do you have any concluding remarks or exhortations or admonitions for preachers out there? As if I had a guess. <laughs> well, look, I, I really appreciate uh, the time talking with you, and you know, just love the opportunity to stress to this this new wonderful crowd of keen reformed people. Uh, to, to stress that it's not just about having your theology right, it's about having your heart right. And theology is meant to challenge our hearts and shape our hearts and change our hearts. And when 
it does. That's when theology is really exciting. And although, um, you know, the stuff we've talked about this, uh, today is hard work, I think it's also thrilling work. And um, the labor is worth it because this, this is when preaching gets really exciting. When you see yep. God's hand, lives being changed, um, God's word making a difference. So uh, I can I just want to encourage your listeners, encourage um, encourage preachers, press on in this because it's it's an exciting and a wonderful work. Yep, well said. And I again I, I thank you for taking the time to um, speak with me and the listeners on a very important subject um, in our modern church. Um, Lots of in, lots of information, but more application. Gentlemen, please apply the text to the people. Um, that's what it's there for. Um, anyway, so again, thank you. If you could just hold on the line just for a second while I wrap things up with the listeners, um, just give them a real quick snapshot of what's coming up on the program. Um, I'm not going to run through the whole list. It's available on the website, confessingyourhope.com. But uh, um, coming up... Um, Next week will be um, Dr. Ben Shaw. He will be talking um, with uh, the listeners about the subject of Bible translations. How do we get the Bible the way we've got it in our English languages? Why so many translations in the first place? Um, what's the best ones out there? Which ones aren't so great? Um, anyway, a man who knows what he's talking about in this subject. And so um, he's a professor of Old Testament at Greenville Seminary. And so I look forward to speaking with him on that. Uh, the week after that, Dr. Piper will be back to do his typical once a month faith and practice. It's widely a very popular program. Listeners write in and uh, submit their theological practical questions to him as a man who's not only been a pastor, but he's been a seminary president and has been doing it for a long time. And so you can um, have some confidence in what he says is going to be rooted in in years of exegesis and in, in, in theological application. And so if you want to write a question into him, you can do so at the website, confessingourhope.com, utilize the form there and um, just send it in and we'll take care of it from there. And if we do use your question, you get $10 off at the banner of truth. And it's what a deal. <laughs> write a question, get $10 off. It's really, really tough. And it doesn't have to be a long question either. In fact, I'd prefer them to be short. It's easier to read. Um, but anyway, um, but, but do that and uh, listen for your question to be read on the program. The week after that, Jeff Gleason will be on to talk about the evening of confessional concern and prayer that's held every year at the PCA General Assembly. So we'll highlight that again as we do every year for for them and uh, talk about some of those issues that they'll be dealing with at the at the PCA uh, GA coming up in June. So that's a little bit of what's coming up. We're continually adding to the lineup. So um, again, uh, you can get the information at the website, confessingourhope.com. So until next time, we do thank you for listening uh, to this particular edition, um, one that was very encouraging to me as well as one that I've uh, enjoyed. I, I talked to somebody in Australia um, who's on, living at a different day than I am right now, so it's really, really strange. But we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.